This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have a raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Rachel Powell. She is the Chief Communications Officer at Passages. Passages is an organization that has brought over 10,000 Christian college students to Israel, and they stay invested in the lives of their students after the trip, helping them to grow as leaders and caring community members on their college campuses. Rachel has a deep passion for caring for Gen Z and younger millennials and wants to help educate others in what they need and how to best pour into this generation. Passages is passionate about the growth and development of these students and empowering them with a transformative experience of digging deeper into their faith and connecting with the land of Israel. Through her role at Passages, she aims to inspire young minds and foster a deep understanding of the region's historical and spiritual significance and create lasting connections between students and the diverse communities in Israel. I loved this conversation with Rachel so much because we really dive deep into her passion for reaching Gen Z and the next generation and how to disciple younger adults and what this generation is really looking for in growing their faith. Before we get into this conversation and more about this episode, I want to just say that this episode was recorded well over a month ago, and it is purely coincidence that this episode was scheduled to air this week, considering all that is going on in Israel and in Gaza. This episode is not about that. This episode is about how we pour into the next generation and their faith and these trips to Israel is one piece of that. We really don't get into the nuances of any of those things. And so I just want to just say that off the bat. And I don't claim to be an expert on foreign policy and especially foreign policy of the Middle East. And that's not anything that we go into in this conversation. I do want to say that my prayers are with the people who are suffering so much right now, and I am just praying for peace. My heart is breaking for everything I am seeing and reading right now, and I can only imagine what it is like for the people who are there. So I am sending my prayers and supporting wherever I can. With all that being said, I really pray that this conversation is encouraging to you. It's something where we're really focusing again on that next generation, and I hope that you get something out of it. Without further ado, on to my conversation with Rachel Powell. Rachel, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. It's nice to meet you, and I'm excited to get to know you more, and I'm excited to introduce you to our listeners. So welcome. Thank you so much, Molly. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. I want to just go ahead because there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, and so I want you just to give us the Rachel 101 to tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Amazing. So everyone, my name is Rachel Powell. I am the chief communications officer for an Israel encounter organization called Passages. Um, and the mission of Passages is to inspire the hearts and minds of next generation Christian leaders um, through a life-changing experience in Israel. So about eight years ago, um, I found myself standing on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem, just kind of in awe of this place and this history and this people. And I thought to myself, how did I end up here? Like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm a small town girl raised on a farm, one of seven kids. Um, the fact that I'm on the other side of the world um, experiencing this new culture is just like crazy to me. So Israel, like in that moment, just kind of captured my heart and I just kind of fell in love with the place. 
And then I, I came back home after that amazing trip. I was studying there at the time and I came back home and I kind of just like fell back into my normal life. Um, I have a degree actually in accounting. And so I was doing business work. Naturally. Uh, my family ran. Naturally. Yeah, naturally, of course. My family um, is entrepreneurs. And so I helped run the accounting and finance for multiple small businesses. But Israel just kind of like always stuck with me. Like that first initial moment of experiencing the culture, the people, the deep history. And I got actually the opportunity to go back to Israel uh, several years later with passages. Uh, they were just a new organization at the time. And so I went and experienced Israel again. And I was like, I don't care what it takes. I want to be involved. And so I volunteered. I did some social media projects for for um, passages as they were kind of just a new organization. And I was able to go back to Israel. I took a camera with me. I ran their social media. And I just remember standing there being like, I have no experience doing social media. My experiences in business, I don't know why they chose me, but here I am. I'm doing it. I'm loving it. And that led me to my role now. And so I've worked for Passages for five years now, helping thousands of Christian college students um, go to Israel and experience the the depth of their faith and the history of their faith in this place where it all began. And then also helping them meet and understand the current culture and peoples who live in Israel. So when I think kind of back on the last eight years of my life, I'm just so... Um, amazed at the adventure that God has taken me on because I started out in a place of business and small towns and never, ever could have imagined that the Lord would just take me on this winding path of an adventure. But now I get to do a work that I love. I love the students. I love the place. Um, and I just feel so privileged. I love hearing your passion in your voice. And it clearly stems from that experience that you had. And um, I would love for you, I mean, obviously, I think the work that Passages does like on the surface level is, of course, amazing, you know, but there is something so much deeper and richer to it. And I think part of a larger conversation that I was really excited to, and part of the reason I really wanted to have you on was to have this kind of larger conversation about discipling the next generation. Um, mm. But I, I, on the surface, you know, tell us, I mean, tell me really a little bit about the heart of passages and why the and again we'll get, we'll get to that deeper conversation that I think needs to be had but I think on the surface why something like a trip to Israel <laughs> a trip to the holy land is a means to something so much deeper because such yeah know, such a good question it's a bucket list item for me yeah. i mean i my kids would love to go someday i i would obviously love to go my husband would love to go someday um and so for a lot of people it just become kind of it's this bucket list item of like oh i want to yeah. do that someday i think it'd be really cool but you know for for people that might not even understand they're just like well that's it's just a trip to israel there's something right. so much deeper there so i'd love for you to just kind of help illustrate that a little bit Absolutely. Um, so when I think about Israel, I think about history, culture, place, and I think about things that are very gritty and real. And so I think this generation of Christians sometimes struggle with their identity. Who am I? Where do I fit? What is my purpose in life? Even like, what is my faith? Where does it come from? And we like context. And I think that Israel is is this really important part of our Christian identity. And I think it's important for that next generation of Christian leaders to be able to like, not just hear from the earlier generation about like, well, this is where, this is what we believe, this is what we know. But I think it's really important, especially for this next generation to believe it for themselves and to really be able to root themselves in something very real and something that is like, they can grasp as their own identity. And I think Israel is such a good way of being able to accomplish that for this next generation. So the way that I like to explain it is I grew up in a Christian home. And of course, like my, my family did a great job of teaching me Bible lessons and talking to me about history and things like that. But really 
when it came to my, you know, late teen, early 20 years, it fell on me to decide, like, who am I? What do I believe? And where am I going with my life? And for me, Israel was such a important way of like, not just seeing my faith in scripture as something that had been taught to me as a fairy tale, as good stories. But by going to Israel, I was really able to dig in to that scripture and say, is this real? Is this actually like something I should devote my life to and believe in? And so for me, by going to Israel, I was able to see, I was able to feel, I was able to taste and touch this, this like reality that is history and scripture. And the biggest thing about Israel for me was like, it made my faith real. It made me want to dig in. It made me want to keep going and to build my life on this foundation that is Christianity. And I think that that is the perfect segue to, like I said, this this deeper conversation that I really wanted to have with you because I I think it is, I know as somebody who is heavily involved in um, a church plant um, and um, just, you know, as somebody who's raising kids and I have a lot of friends with kids who are in college or in high school. And, um, I mean, I'm a former high school teacher. I I taught high school for a couple of years, right when I graduated college. And so like, I've always loved that generation, but the reality is, is that the, the cultural landscape, the world landscape, the political landscape, all those things look so different. And as they always have for all of eternity, (laughs) they have absolutely different, um, in, in every generation. That's the whole, you know, that's part of a changing world that is from now until Jesus comes back or whatever, like it's (laughs) going to look like that. And so, but because this generation, it's really interesting that I've been having this conversation quite a lot recently, even here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And that was not planned is that this generation has a unique, uh, I don't want to say like angle or situation that they're dealing with. And that is they are inundated with information um, mm-hmm. more so than any other generation. I mean, just the reality of, you know, when we hold a smartphone in our hands, we have access to more information than we were created to even have. Absolutely. And because of that, we are seeing more and more people leave the church, leave their faith mm-hmm. in the name of deconstruction or in the name of insert anything you want. And that is all. And a lot of times it, the root stems from, oh, well, you know, I came across this account on TikTok and this is what really plays blah, 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 blah. Or I came across this, uh, YouTube video or I, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, we're inundated with it. And so because of that, the faith landscape of Gen Z of uh, what's the Gen Alpha? Is that my kids' generation? Yeah, yeah Gen, like Alpha, Gen Alpha. Yes. Gen Z, Gen Alpha is just so much different than it is for millennials, Gen X, or you know, and and boomers so on up. And so um, I say all that to say is I think, and, and I'd love for you to really unpack this is what I think this generation, especially Gen Z and Gen Alpha, and I say this as a geriatric millennial, um, I (laughs) identify more as a zennial, you know, like the mix of a Gen Mm -hmm. X and a millennial, because I'm not a full Mm -hmm. Gen Xer, but I also don't fully (laughs) identify as a millennial. Um, So geriatric millennial, I guess is fine. (laughs) Um, But as a geriatric millennial, I understand that this makes me sound like an old person when I just say like, well, these kids these days need all this information and we didn't need that stuff. And like, but the reality is, is like, they're less likely to, they're almost a little bit more doubting Thomas's. Let's just be honest. So skeptical, real skeptical skeptical. of all of it. And so uh, that was a whole very long uh, rambly setup to say that like, in your experience, how has something like this and what is a part of that? Um, you know, how does this play a part in the discipling of this generation? Absolutely. I know there's a we, lot to we, unpack there. <laughs> no, it's so good. I love it. I love unpacking all of this. So 
we do consider the church today offers a lot of different evangelism trips, things like that. Passages is truly a, a discipleship trip. And the reason that we like to focus on discipleship is exactly what you're talking about. Um, we know that Gen Z, which is the largest portion of who we're taking to Israel right now, like you said, they're, they're just inundated with all of this information. And even um, they're also tend to be very isolated, which sounds odd because they're so hyper-connected. It's but a when false it comes, connection. It's a false connection when it comes to actually like that in-person, like genuine community. Gen Z actually craves that. And in a lot of ways, they don't have that. A lot of that has to do with A, this hyper-connectivity on social media, but also they lived through a global pandemic in a very, very important portion of their life where they were just starting to see and connect how they fit into the world. And so they were in high school, they were freshmen in college, and they were told to stay home for over a year. And so we're really seeing this like this A, this inundation of information and hyper connectivity online. But really what it leads down to is like this, almost this like health crisis of loneliness and isolation for young people. And so all of these different details, I think, really play into like how they look at their faith. They see it as something that is like a very personal to them. They want their faith to be very personal, but they also want to live it out in community. And a lot of them have, again, either been connected to or grown up in the church where they've seen, honestly, some not so great things sometimes. Um, they've seen some some leaders who are very, um, they're full of themselves, or they've seen hurt from their parents in the church. And so, like you said, when it comes to faith, when it comes to community around faith, they're very skeptical, but they're also like craving it. Like right. they want it so badly. And so I think a lot of what they look for though, is tell me why, why should I believe this Jesus? Why should I follow in what my parents followed in? And for them, that looks like context. That looks like understanding. And I think that's why this whole deconstruction movement is such a big thing where they're like, okay, I want to know why and what I'm believing in before I just like dedicate my whole life to it because they want a cause. They want something to live their life to, but they're not going to give themselves just like blindly. Mm -hmm. They want the why they want to know. And I think what I have seen and, and myself have experienced is that Israel can be a way that just, it challenges them. They go and they're like, okay, again, I've heard these stories. Mm -hmm. I've heard a little bit about like this place, this Jesus, but Israel is this place where they're confronted face to face with context and with a reality that maybe they've really never thought about before. And so I think all of that context for Gen Z really fits into like, well, if we're going to disciple them, you know, why not do it in their in their local church, in their hometown? And my my answer is yes, we do that. We should do that. But I think what Israel does that being in the local hometown cannot is it takes them to the center of this culture, of this people, of this history, um, where they they can just start to ask questions. Who is Jesus? Okay, he didn't grow up in a Western context like me. He actually grew up as a Jewish boy in the Middle East. What does that mean? How do I come to know who he really was and who he is today in light of this context that is Israel? And it really just, it puts them in a place where they can start asking questions and start to dig into that that history, that roots, but in a way that is like, constructive instead of maybe like deconstructive if, mm -hmm. if that in any way makes sense absolutely like, yeah let's give them a place to ask why to dig into and that's that's really what they want because they've seen things and they know things and they're skeptics right well i think there's a couple points uh that i, I want to unpack within your unpacking the first being the connection piece and then the second piece being the question piece and so mm. that first piece I think is so fascinating because like I said, I have quite a few friends with kids who are in high school and, and college. And it's been so interesting to see how to like watch as the the friend of their parent um, as they enter even just simple things like the dating world. I should say simple things. That is not right. <laughs> dating is not a simple thing. But 
it's been fascinating because I have had friends whose kids have, you know, I say air quotes, like dated people, but have like pretty much entirely their interactions are over their phone. Yeah. And over social media and that they maybe get together in person occasionally, like very Mm -hmm. rarely. And it's like, they don't know. And again, I'm, I realize I'm painting with broad strokes right now. Very broad. Very broad. And so this is not true (laughs) for everyone, but I would say on the whole, more often than not, this is what I am personally seeing anecdotally of teenagers, college students in my own life is it's like this inability to foster in-person friendships, in-person communication. It's like they only know how to communicate with each other through text message. So I don't say this to sound condemning. I say it with the reality of like, in a lot of ways, it's our fault. It's the older generation's fault for, for how I think we've maybe led or set this standard or just, you know, giving kids phones too early or whatever it is and and not insisting that they really <laughs> practice the skill of small talk or practice the skill <laughs> of getting to know someone in person face to face. I think that we are somewhat to blame. And so they're, these younger generations are a product of of that. And so I think that that's a piece of it. And so, but, you know, to bring it back to what you were saying is like, we, they crave community, they crave connection, because that is what we were created for. Yes. God did not create yes. us to communicate via text message 100% of the time. <laughs> he did not create us to not actually to date people uh on social media. Like it's just not, that's not how we were created. And so that's, that's one piece of it that I love that what the work you're doing is really, I think, discipling and shaping in that way and, and giving kids the tools that might not otherwise have the tools to to do that. Again, apologies for painting with broad brushes, but that's (laughs) the reality, broad strokes, broad brushes. It's fine. And then the second piece is, and what I really love is, like you said, is it gives a safe place to ask questions, to ask hard questions. And we know throughout the Bible, there are countless, countless examples of people asking hard questions of God. And God is not afraid with your hard questions. God is God is not concerned with your hard questions. And I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before or not, so forgive me if I have, but, and this thought is not original to me, but one thing that I think is so important to remember is that when we ask questions, what we are doing is we are wrestling. We are wrestling yes, with our absolutely. faith. We're wrestling with God. We are wrestling with these questions that we have. And again, I, this is this thought is not original to me, but whenever we wrestle with something, you cannot wrestle with something and not be physically close to it. So if you ever watch wrestling on TV, what are they doing? <laughs> they are intertwined. They're they're entangled. They're sweaty. Like they are up in each other's nether regions. Like it is a it is a whole situation. I'm not a big wrestling fan, but I did grow up in the era <laughs> of crazy. Hulk Hogan. And so like that's oh, what yeah. I think of is like some big old wrestlers and they're getting in there. Um, or I have a friend whose son was a high school wrestler. And what are they, what are they doing? They're getting up under each other. They're like, they're getting hurt. They're, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a physical thing. And so when we spiritually wrestle with something, we cannot do that and not be physically close to God. So true. Oh, I love that analogy. I absolutely love that. I think the questions, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think sometimes as the older generation who's trying to disciple the next generation, I've noticed this almost like scared of questions mentality where it's like, I don't know exactly how to answer your questions or even wrestle through your questions with you. And so I think that's where like you're saying, this next generation is just like, but hey, I have all this information at my fingertips and I have questions about my faith. Where can I ask them? And and I think that your analogy is so good about how like questioning your faith isn't a bad thing. It's how we learn, especially as like 
as like, as you're growing up, like kids, when they're little, all they do is ask why over and over and over again until you about go insane. And I think some of the reason that kids stop doing that is because adults start to tell them to stop asking why they kind of try to like quelch their curiosity because they get tired of answering the questions. But as that child grows and and they become teenagers and they go into college, they still inherently have those why questions, but they've kind of learned to just like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to go find those answers maybe alone, maybe by myself. And so they start to Google and they start to search and maybe they have that one friend or that one professor that they ask their why questions to. But really like what we try to do and what we try to provide as passages is like, a safe place in community. And I think that's one of the coolest things is they are on a bus of people their own age who are also asking the same questions in a program that allows them to ask questions with someone who can help guide them through answers. Like, let's talk about these hard things. Now let's have a discussion afterwards. Like, okay, what did you think about that? What did your peers think about that? And it's, it's, it is a way, like you said, it's a way of wrestling with your doubts, with your questions, with all these things that maybe for like so long, these students have kept inside of them. And we like to say that Israel is like drinking from a fire hose and that when you leave, you will probably have more questions than what you came with. And that's not a bad thing. That's the beginning of a journey to becoming like deeper in your faith and really understanding. So for us, it's like, we welcome the questions. We actually start asking them to them so that they start asking them back. And in, in Jewish tradition, like the way that a rabbi teaches is actually by asking questions and that a student asks a question back. And then the rabbi asks another question back. And that is such a good way of learning because the teacher is not necessarily always giving them the exact answer, but they are prompting them down a path to be like, well, think about this. Okay, you asked me this. Well, what about this? Well, think about what, um, how Jesus taught. I mean, he... Exactly. All, That's how he taught. He taught all the time. <laughs> when people would ask him a question, he would just, in return, ask them a question, which just always cracks me up. It's so true. And that's that's the tradition. That's the tradition that Christianity was founded out of and even how Jesus taught. And so when we take students, first of all, like we know that they shouldn't be asking these questions alone because in isolation comes like this this fear and this doubt and just like you feel like you're alone and you have no one to turn to. So the community we find is very important and we try to foster that both during during their experience and then afterwards we have opportunities for them to continue to ask questions and lead in community. But that's exactly what we try to do. We try to provide them an experience where they're like, hey, I have doubts. I've always wondered this about my faith. I'm questioning whether scripture is actually true and real. Let me ask, can I ask this without being shut down or condemned or looked down upon? Can I ask my questions about the context that I grew up in? What does my faith teach me about suffering? What can the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this one continuous story of redemption, how does it actually apply to my life today? And that's actually what I love. Like I truly do like in all of our staff, we love the next generation and we know that they're the future leaders of the church tomorrow. And so it's like, let them ask questions now, let them dive in, let them struggle. And that's, that's really, really what I love about what we, what we get to do um, in, in the program that we have. And creating that safe space to be able to ask those questions is so important. And I love what you said about how, you know, when kids, I mean, we all innately have questions about whatever. And, and so for example, my, my daughter is 10 and is, I wouldn't say at her peak questioning, asking age, but (laughs) it could be that. I mean, it is, and it's not why a lot of times it is, she will have questions that I genuinely don't have the answer to where it's just like constant question asking for things that often don't even have an answer. And sometimes Mm. it'll just be like out of nowhere. I'll be like, mom, who is the person in the world that has said the Lord's prayer the most amount of times? And I'm just like, what question is that? I don't even, (laughs) huh? Or she'll be like, Hey mom, can you tell me how many, Oh, I remember she was in the truck with my husband a couple weeks ago. And she was like, dad, do you think there are more blades of grass in the world or more trees? 
And he was like, uh, I'm going to say blades of grass. And she was like, do you think there are more leaves on trees than blades of grass? And he's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. So, but it's, that's, that is her brain right now is just, she has questions yes. about everything. Yes. And, and you're right. It's, there are times where I'm just like, I can't possibly answer another question right now. And there are times where I just will look at her and go, sweet girl, I love you so much. And I love your questions. Mommy is all out of answers. I have no more answers today. Absolutely. And should stump her and ask her a question back. I know. What do, how many blades of grass do you think there are? I know. I know. Well, and then sometimes I'll do that and she'll be like, well, I, you, I asked you and she's just like, no, no, no. I asked she's like, you. we're not doing this. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I don't, oh, so her name is Lily Stillman. And so the other day she was like, how many Lily Stillmans do you think there are in the world? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I, there's no way. I don't know. And she's like, well, just guess. And I'm like, you guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Your guess is going to be as good as mine. Like, I don't know. I anyway, that. all that to say is you're right. I, but I am very conscious of the fact that I don't want to squelch her curiosity. I don't want to squelch her um, zest for learning. Um, and I know that, you know, soon she is going to be a teenager who is going to no longer want to talk to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I want to, I've yeah. always wanted to foster a place where no question is off limits. And I think we've done a good job with that where she asks me, uh, you know, especially being 10 now, like there are a lot of other questions that I've had to text yeah. my friends and be like, so this question was not on my 2023 bingo card. How do I answer this? You know what I mean? We're like, Absolutely. you know, so anyway, so like inside I'm dying and on the outside, I'm like, that is a wonderful question. Let's go have that question uh, answered you and me. Um, but again, long rambling setup to say that we all have these questions, whether you are a kid, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult, an adult, a senior citizen, whatever it is, we all have questions. And it is so key to be able to have somebody in your life who is pointing you absolutely in the direction of where the truth is and where the answers are because you can Google <laughs> that question and you don't know what kind of answers you're going to get. And oh, so all kinds. It's yeah, <laughs> every kind. Every kind of answer. You could probably Everything pick and choose your answer, whether you yes. know, or whatever, whatever. Choose your own journey. That's what Google is. Literally choose your own journey. <laughs> any question. It could be a deep theological question, or it could be how many blades of grass there are in the world. There are going to be answers for everything. And um, so I love how you really emphasize that let's together in person, in community, in the place where it happened, you want to be in the room where it happened. Uh, exactly. To be able to answer those questions and and wrestle with those questions. Um, that is so important. And I think especially when you are talking about reaching the next generation of Christian leaders, the next generation of just leaders in general, that is really an important piece of this. So it's so important. And and something that we we really try to focus on is like that that personal relationship. Well, we we take thousands of students every year, but we really have a system set up where, hey, like this trip is not just a trip for you. Like we're providing you with kind of that community where you can come back and ask questions. And when when passages and, and even myself, when I think about what like what specifically Gen Z needs, I think there's like there's a couple of really things that that stick out to me, and it's, it's a lot of what we try to do in Foster, but first of all, like they need people in their lives who first of all, like believe in them and actually have hope for their generation. I think a lot of what the older generation sometimes does is just looks down on them and says, well, there's no hope. It's hopeless. And that's not what they need. They actually need people in their lives who are willing to be curious, to be vulnerable with them and to be consistent. Hmm. And so first of all, like passages tries to provide a community around them where those things are happening. They can, they can let their curiosity flow they can also have like adults and other people in their lives who are Christians as well, be vulnerable. Like, and there's something about traveling overseas with someone 
it's nitty gritty. It's hard. You you face adversity. You're challenged. Um, your your horizons are expanded, and it kind of opens this avenue for being vulnerable about like what's really going on in my life, and you sharing back what's going on in yours. And then there's a key of like consistency. Like how do you consistently show up in their lives um, in a world where really they they feel like it's un- very unstable. Right. I mean. I don't know about you, but like the last four years, the world has just felt so unstable. Right. And they're in a, they're in a part of their lives where like they're making decisions about what they're doing with their lives, right? who they're marrying. Like you said, like who they're dating, what they're actually going to believe and having a like consistent voice in their life who they know will let them ask questions and let them be vulnerable with them is so, so important. And so passages as a community, like, Hey, we set that up by like letting them expand the horizons and challenging them on a trip, but also trying to connect them to not only like other people who are their same age, but to churches, to different ministries or different, um, different organizations in areas where they're like, Hey, I'm interested in doing this in my life, but how do I find somewhere that can help me like really experience that and really even understand if that's what Mm -hmm. I want to do with my life. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's really kind of like what we, we try to set up for them is that, that experience of like, where's the people who let me be curious, be vulnerable and be consistent and provide that community around my life. It begins with this challenge in Israel of digging deeper, but it it doesn't end there. It continues with community and, and curiosity throughout life. Such a great point. I am curious um, because I'm I'm thinking about this as somebody again who is involved in a church plant. Um, I, I know a lot of other people who are involved in church plants and college and student ministries. Um, in your experience, what is it that Gen Z, Gen Alpha? What are they looking for in a faith mm-hmm. community? What are they not looking for? <laughs> what you know? What I'm d- does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I totally understand what you're saying. I I totally get it. I think since they are skeptics, again, like you said, they have all this information at their fingertips. Um, and I realize this is a buzzword, buzzword, but they're looking for someone who's authentic, someone who's real. Like they have already seen a lot of hard things in their short lives, whether it's like personal experience through family traumatic issues right. or living through a pandemic or anything like they kind of live in this almost like this dystopian world where they're like, is this, you know, like what is reality? Um, and when you think about that generation, they think about their lives more from a lens of like hunger games than from a lens of like uh, a more like heroic version of like mm. everything ends happy. Huh. Um, and so that's kind of how they they see the world as almost like this hunger games-esque thing. And really what they're looking for is like, don't play with me. Don't put on an ego. Don't pretend like things aren't like they are. Be real with me. I want you to be honest. Like, let me ask my vulnerable questions. Don't pretend like everything is good in your life. Tell me what's really going on in your life. And they don't really care what age you are. That doesn't matter to them. What matters is that you're you're willing to see the world truly as it is and then help them ask the questions so that they understand how to apply their faith in the world that is not the world that like is maybe how we think it is. It's like, this is their reality. This is how they think about the world. Mm. So it's like, just step into that and say, talk to me, tell me about your life. And I think like as an older generation, the biggest mistake that we make is we, we prejudge them and assume a lot of things about them. But really the best thing you can do is just be curious. Like, ask them who they are, ask them what they think, ask them what they've seen God doing in their lives. And if you show that, like, you're willing to do the same, they will talk to you. (laughs) They will, they will answer you and they actually crave that, but they want it without the, maybe the pride and hypocrisy that maybe they've seen growing up in the church where people try to hide behind whatever facade they're they're trying to live behind. So I would say for them, they're like, you're not going to fool them. They're going to see right through you. Um, mm-hmm. So don't try to just be honest and say, here's my life. Here's how I've seen God work in my life. Here's who he is to me. Now tell me, talk to me. What questions do you have for me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've seen. I, I work with, I serve in, in a high school ministry at 
my local church. And then I also, of course, work with college students through my job. So this, this generation really has my heart. And I think one of the things I was leading senior girls last year, and, and one of the things that they said was, Rachel, like you were just honest with us. Like you told us where you struggled. You told us the parts of your life that were hard to talk about. Right. And that to them was like the most important thing because it it made them realize I can also do the same back. And that's how true community is built. So that that's that's probably the thing as as you're looking at ministering to high schoolers and college students is is the biggest thing that I've seen. They crave community, but they they know when you're faking. So don't fake. Right. Don't try to don't try to pull it all over. Yeah. On it's like it- <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And this is, again, like I said, one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you because it is the way we, and I say we, I'm again, (laughs) painting with a broad brush here, Uh, broad strokes, whatever the phrase is, save your emails, folks. I know I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, But the way that we, again, collective American church do church now has to look different than it did even 10 years ago, um, Mm -hmm. five years ago, really, because um, I think that what once worked in the, you know, and and I think the pendulum swings constantly. It does. It absolutely does. Constantly. Series of overcorrections. Again, talked about this a lot recently on the podcast, too, is, you know, we had I mean, if you look over the, the history of the church as a whole from the book of Acts to now, it's been a a wide pendulum swing back and forth. And you have like the churches that were very um, seeker sensitive and you have the churches that were very um, believer central or or believer sensitive or believer focused and kind of everything in between. And um, but, you know, a lot of the especially in the early days of social media, as a lot of churches, I think were trying to grow. It became a big um, who could be the flashiest (laughs) and absolutely so much so. (laughs) And that and I think the church has benefited in some ways. Um, And I also believe that the church was hurt in some ways. And but I do believe and and I would be interested to again, kind of get your follow up thoughts on this is as Gen Z and Gen Alpha come along, I think that they are hesitant to that. And they're they're a little resistant to that. And they are Mm -hmm. um, sensitive to that. And I think that they're kind of like you said, they're all about the authenticity and the vulnerability. And they're not really about the show. It's so true. I love that you're talking about church history. I love church history. I think it's so fascinating. Love it. And if you do, it's so interesting because you're right. If you do watch the pattern, it's like one generation goes this way and then the next generation swings back this way. And it's just like this constant back and forth of like, okay, well, we saw this problem in our our parents' generation. So we're going to swing all the way this way. But I think you're right with the rise of the internet and all these things, churches immediately jumped on, they adopted and they, they use it as a... Um, as a way to bring people in as an evangelism tool, like let's bring people into the church. Let's make it this very showy thing. And what people want is lights and show. And they want um, big name pastors who are giving really great talks. And I think while all of those things are not bad, I think, again, we swung too far in one direction. And what we missed was some of that depth, some of the roots of our roots that like once you become a Christian, you really need, you need discipleship, you need the roots. And so this generation has looked at the last couple generations and been like, you know, I've seen a lot of hypocrisy. I've seen some major falls from grace from these mega pastors who say they are doing one thing, but really they're all about the lights and the glory. And really what I've seen is they're, you're right. They're going back to like more like traditional like ancient, like roots. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of craving this like liturgy and this, like this more traditional form of church where it's, it's smaller, it's more intimate, it's very deep, it's focused, it's authentic. And, um, I think that's one of the reasons that Israel resonates so much with them is because it is that like, give me what's real. Mm-hmm. Take me to the to the roots of my faith, which is comes out of this Hebraic tradition in the Middle East. And so I know for myself, I'll just give you a personal anecdote about this for myself, but like growing up in a Western culture, some of the things that you read in scripture, they just don't really make sense. Oh like, yeah, big time. 
it's like in my Western mind, I don't even understand some of the stories because I'm like, why would they talk about like genealogies? And like, why are we talking about all these farming metaphors? And like, why does Jesus speak like this? And what is the Passover? And how does it relate to all these different things? And and then I started going to the Middle East multiple times. And I realized that their mindset is actually pretty similar to what it was, you know, 2000 years ago when Jesus grew up. But in my Western mindset, it's really hard for me to understand scripture when I don't understand where they're coming from. Mm. And so for me, it was like so helpful to be like, okay, I'm going to go here and now I'm going to read scripture through a slightly more Middle Eastern context. Again, because I didn't grow up there, I'm never going to understand it completely. But certain passages of scripture just start to make a lot more sense, both geographically. I'm like, okay, when they're saying that they're walking to Jerusalem, what does that really mean? Like, how far is that? What would that be like physically? Like, so that gives you some of that context, but then also even like the history of like shepherds. What's it like to be a shepherd in the Middle East? Yeah. Like, I don't understand that in the least because I've never even, I've never been a shepherd. I don't understand the landscape. When Psalms 23 is talking about leading me beside still waters and Jesus, you know, they're talking about the Lord as your shepherd. I don't get these things. Um, but I think what it, what it has done for me is really just start to break down some of my preconceived notions about what I thought Christianity had to be because I saw the original context for it. And I'm like, okay, let me just take my pride aside. Let me just sit here and be like, what about the Bible? Hmm is actually true versus I'm reading it totally through my Western context. And I'm just assuming all of these things that are not actually meant by what's in scripture. And I think when we look at the next generation, they're like, I want that. Mm. Like, I don't want all these Western preconceived notions that church has to look like this and reading, like living a Christian life is exactly like this. And because a lot of that honestly is, there are certain disciplines that scripture calls us to, but even the way that we do them might actually just be our Western context. Mm. So when, when in the in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people would come together in a synagogue, a lot of them couldn't read. Uh, and so a lot of the ways that they heard the word was through a rabbi reading it to them. And so it was this very oral tradition of like, right. I am going to read scripture to you and we're going to do this on a a weekly, sometimes daily basis, depending on culture. And so that the the early church did the exact same thing. Paul wrote letters. He wrote letters to churches to a lot of these people who could not read. And there wasn't, you know, there wasn't hundreds of copies of them. There's one copy. And the pastor of the church, like, you know, the elders of the church would stand up. They'd be like, here is what Paul is telling this church about how we should learn. Um, and then they would keep rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. And so I think even some of our concept about how like our faith has to be so individualized is also not a Middle Eastern concept. Faith in the Middle East is a community. It's a group of people living together who all believe the same things and often meet together to ask each other questions, to read scripture out loud, to live in community. So even that, like, I think Gen Z needs to understand that because a lot of times they do see these like these kind of like inconsistencies where it's like, I don't I mean, like, how does this context relate to like how we're doing church here? Right. Is that actually how it's supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I have so many thoughts on this. Uh, and uh, clearly, I, I could probably do an entire podcast series about this. Um, <laughs> but and. and <laughs> People that listen every week are like, duh, we know you always have thoughts on things. Uh, That's why the podcast. (laughs) Um, Man, this has been so good and such a valuable, rich conversation. I mean, I know it's one that I have really benefited from. It's just... just confirmed, I feel like a lot of what I've been feeling, um, and like I said, just just in the larger context of faith and and raising kids today um, in this culture, and and you know, I obviously I know I can't control my kids, but like I want them to grow up, <laughs> and I want them to. Um, to love their faith. And I want them to be firm in their Mm -hmm. faith and have that firm foundation. And 
and all of that. So, uh, man, Rachel, this has been so good. So rich as we wrap up here, uh, how can people, if, you know, somebody listening is really interested in getting their student or their young adult uh, connected with passages to go on a trip? Um, or do you have like spots for adults as like a camper, <laughs> I don't, camp counselor? I don't know. Uh, but how can people get connected? How can people find, find out more information? How can people get connected with you? Amazing. So if you have a student who's interested in going on a trip, you can visit passagesisrael.org. And if you go to our trips tab, it actually shows the different types of trips that we provide. So we actually provide trips for high schoolers and college students. And those are, those are, um, scholarship programs. And it is a program where they, they dig into the depths of their faith and then they go to Israel and then they have these kind of like calls to action and community afterwards. Um, but we also do, um, provide trips for adults. Um, if you're interested in kind of like seeing what the passages program is as an adult, we also provide that. So if you go to our website and go to the trips page, you'll see there's like different types. You can look at them. You can choose from kind of like choose your own adventure. Which one are you most interested in connecting either your student to or yourself to? And we would love to interact with you in that way. Um, we truly do believe that the next generation is is vital and we want to invest in them. And that's really, that's really what we're here to do. Um, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can, you can send me an email. My email is Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L at passagesisrael.org. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts um, and just connect with you and, and with the, whatever questions that you have. But thank you so much for having me on. This has been such a fun conversation. I love what I do. So when I get to talk about it, it just gets me so excited. I love it. I love that you love it. Um, like I said, I learned a lot. Um, and I just think that um, the work that you're doing is really important. And um, I'm just grateful for it. So thanks for being here. Thank you. I pray that you loved this conversation with Rachel. I would love to know what you loved about this episode. If there was something that you learned or encouraged you, you can let us know on social media. You can find me at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod, wherever you get your podcasts and social medias. And would you take a moment and head on over to whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on and hit that subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. And thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.